You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Long after World of Warcraft came out, a lot of other studios started to get started production on their ideas of what would be the MMO to topple the gorilla in the middle of the room, and it was proved fairly quickly over and over again that nobody would be able to take them down. Now, over the years, the numbers have dwindled down in terms of MMOs being released. And some of them that trickle through still are good. A lot of them kind of dry out fairly fast. That has become the norm now. But that doesn't change your excitement for some of them when they're announced. Because what happens is that you wind up hearing conceptually what the MMO is looking to accomplish. Or what the studio is looking to accomplish to the MMO, I should say. And often you have these fantastic ideas. Unfortunately... If it makes it through to production and actually goes out, those ideas don't always jive with the player base, but there's still hope periodically. And that's what I thought about when I heard about Ashes of Creation for the first time. Now, I actually had not heard anything about this until recently. It's going to be coming out from Intrepid Studios. There's not a lot known about it right now other than the fact that it's going to be a dynamic structure to the world. Now, we've heard this time and time again. Guild Wars 2 notably made a lot of references to this type of designing. However, we can all attest to the fact that while Guild Wars 2 is still a phenomenal MMO, a lot of those things were not as impressive or as well done, I don't know how we want to word this. They didn't fully deliver on what they promised. Not yeah. it's not a, necessarily a bad thing. This is what they promised was so grandiose that they just they could there no one could live up to that. They, they, I think they fulfilled the letter of their promise, but the picture they painted in our minds was a lot better than what they but I think they, they sold us something different from what they were actually saying. And I and, and you have to wonder But at least it functioned, so we didn't get molinued. Yeah, <laughs> you have to wonder, like, is that on us that we let our imaginations go wild with what they said, or did they point blank promise the world and not deliver much more? Uh, in the city I, I don't remember too much of what they promised, but I remember they were talking about just like random events. And if you did the events, you would have access to certain things. And if you failed the events, you know, those things wouldn't be available, which I That's think they delivered there. on. Just yeah. I think we they, kind of they no they fed into it because I remember going to to PAX East that year and actually getting into that panel, which was one of the most packed panels was for Guild Wars Two. It was their Devon Art basic panel, um, and they had the huge room. They, they had the huge amphitheater. It was like basically they took the dividers out of three rooms, so there was like enough room for twelve hundred people or something like that in there, and uh, it was packed. There was a waiting line to get in. And I got in and they they definitely fed into that. And it wasn't not a bad thing, but they were just really excited about their game and mm-hmm. they let people kind of run away with that. So 
Because that's something that we heard a lot of from EverQuest 2 as well. In fact, I would say even more so from EverQuest 2, that the the world would be dynamic and would be shaped around what the player base is doing. And that's something that Ashes of Creation, they're saying that like city, quote unquote, cities will rise and fall. Their populations based on the history of the world as the players create it. So you have this idea of players creating cities, which will then influence the world's NPCs to gather in those areas or to set up trades in those areas. And then your city builds, not just with players, but also NPCs who kind of make their way over there. Again, feels very much like an EverQuest 2. If they can pull it off, I'm very curious. Unfortunately, we've all played enough MMOs to know (laughs) that the vast majority of the players are not interested in taking the time to build something, but rather to burn (laughs) it down. Yeah, let's let's just say it outright. Most players are assholes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So because they're talking about things like trade routes that you'd be able to set up and then you're going to want to probably use mercenaries to help protect your trade routes. Again, very cool. Build a city. I will be the first person playing Billy the Kid and robbing stagecoaches. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. Same thing with they're talking about housing in here. And I thought, oh, this sounds interesting because you can literally just go off and be a fucking lumberjack in the middle of the woods and build your own house, your own plot of land, grow your own stuff to do your crafting and whatever. But you know there's going to be assholes roaming around that are just going to wreck your shit. So then are you going to have the interest in the game to rebuild again? And then they're saying, well, you can build inside of city walls. It'll be a little bit cheaper. But then, you're again, you're still dealing with assholes that are either A, running the city, or B, invading the city so it's still going to be the same thing so as interested as i am in those things i'm also really skeptical not because of their coding not because of npc actions or any shit like that pve stuff strictly other player bullshit is what would would worry me because some of the what they're saying also kind of feels like what they promised for crowfall So things like the political questing and things like that for rivals to be battling each other out for control of cities and different things. So, again, there's a lot of cool elements that were not for the players would be awesome, (laughs) but those players are going to ruin this. Oh, yeah. And it reminds me, I can't remember the name of the game off the top of my head, but there was an MMO where you like you could actually found cities with your guild and it wasn't Conan. It was uh, something else. It was back in the days of like Ultima and stuff like that and original EverQuest. And that was always the problem, right? That was always the problem was other players. And like, I remember specifically like rogues could, or thieves could sneak into the city like of the rival and hide out at the banks and steal from people who are trying to deposit shit in their banks. And, like, they would do that all the damn time. Like, you had to have, like, special people patrolling the city and everything was left to the players. It was crazy. And it seems weird almost that, like, we've had this before in the past, yet this is what all the future games are striving for yet again. I don't know. It's I think I'm over it because as cool as it sounds, I still don't want my house burned down by that asshole down the road. 
And if it's something you're going to be investing time and money and subscription fees into, I mean, I objectively would look at it and go, I'd rather have something that's just a crafted experience that I know isn't going to you know, catch on fire when I log out for the night. Like, if I'm going to invest that all that into into a game, I'm going to make sure it's still there when I log in the next morning. See, that's, uh, too old for that shit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's a large part of it. But if they could set it up in such a way that you have essentially the equivalent of a PvP and a PvE server, and then PvE server, people can't burn your shit down, then I'd be a lot more up for it. That will have a huge impact on how dynamic the world actually is. However, I think that there has to be those balances simply because... They're trying to make it as close to real life as possible while still being in the the realm of the fantastical. But the problem is, is... If you burn somebody's house down, there's consequences. Exactly. That's what I mean. So all of these things that people do in games because they can get away with it, they wouldn't do in reality. So that checks and balances doesn't exist in the same way. So And there's no way in hell there'd be a quote-unquote law system in this game People just wouldn't play it. it. Yeah, but they it wouldn't be successful because people just wouldn't want to play this if they won't you know, get away with it. You can't you use know, hold Eve on a second. Justification for a normal yes, game. Yes, I can because Eve has been incredibly successful with the various factors in doing that in the in the policing of it. Because you have high sec, medium sec, and null sec. And yeah, you can go to null sec if you want to, and you want to take that risk. And there are certain rewards for it, but you can stay stay in high sec the entire time. And if somebody burns your shit down, congratulations, they get fucking ousted. Like it's that's what happens. And there are there is a way to do it where everybody can have whatever they want. They can have that experience. It, it depends on what they want. And I will quote Eve as that because Eve is honestly yes. the first system that was capable of doing that where I don't think I have many people that have ever said a really bad thing about it except for when servers cry when you have large-scale assaults. But other than that, I mean, it's yeah, Eve is proof you can of do it. concept for any number of things that just won't work in other games because they're not Eve. They don't have the same developers and they don't have the same community. I, I, I will agree that fight. Eve has proved it is possible, sure, but, but I also don't think anybody else can follow in Eve's footsteps quite the way they they have. But I think it's because people don't want to just uh, – there's this weird thing, right? Like it's – you have to find this balance between having your dev fingers into it and knowing when to just let players have control and finding the balance between it. And it seems like a lot of these games make the mistake of just wanting the players to drive literally mm-hmm. everything. And you can't do that because human nature is to fuck things. It doesn't matter whether it's for, you know, procreation or whether it's to screw your neighbor over. At some point, there are just people that will do that. And that's why, like, you know, you have games like Eve where they have that figured out. And they're like, we have these little bubbles. Make those bubbles elsewhere. Other game, other developers, take note. You can do this. Just a little touch. Just the right amount. Don't be bender. So, and then there was another one that you found, Joe. Actually, I hadn't heard about this one either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Greedfall. Uh, so, it's it's from one of my favorite publishers, actually, uh, which is interestingly enough. But it's a Baroque Victorian-era RPG set in the time of colonization. And um, so, this is from Focus Home Interactive, who generally haven't had a lot of big hits, but they are responsible for some some fantastic games 
and they are actually the sole licensor of the Games Workshop brand for anything that's not Warhammer Fantasy. So they're responsible for Blood Bowl. They just announced that they're going to be doing Necromunda. They're responsible for Space Hulk Deathwing. These are the the guys that are going to be producing uh, or uh, publishing uh, Sticks, uh, Shards of Darkness. Vampire is going to be one of their games. To give you an idea of some of the stuff that they've done or are doing, uh, they have their hands in a lot of really cool stuff. And here's another great example. Uh, so it is an action RPG. Uh, that you are settlers going to a new land, you're treasure hunters, mercenaries, and when you come to this new land, you find that there's this island, this magical island rumored to be teeming with artifacts, wealth, lost secrets, uh, but it's not an uninhabited island. There are actual magical denizens there. There are witches, there are elementals, there are anything that you could think of from the high fantasy realms here, and you as somebody in this world are either fighting I'm guessing, they haven't released a whole lot but I'm guessing you're fighting on either the side of the treasure hunters, the mercenaries, or on the side of the local life and it is a very interesting concept and I liked I, I want to be on the, the side of that big fucking tree that attacked yeah. the guy that's <laughs> yeah, the side I need to be on, on. <laughs> yeah really <laughs> but that was, that, I'll be that on Guardians of the Galaxy side <laughs> But yeah, yeah, the cool like the pointed hat. You had the the gun and the the, the bayonet and the sword, and then like this witch, and she was all cowering. And then you had the giant tree elk thing, and it was just so amazing. Like that's cool. That's a very cool concept, and I'm really I'm excited to hear more about this. Any estimated street date on that sucker? No, they literally just announced it, so okay. it's going to be probably a couple years to give you an idea like they announced call of cthulhu two years ago and it's due to release end of this year so probably two years i would say yeah be well yeah okay let's move on to something else that is going to be coming out soon and that is legends of zelda breath of the wild we got some new information on that as well as some information about the dungeons too that i thought was interesting yeah, Legend of Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild was Game Informer's big game for their February issue. And like they do with all their big games, they have this web portal where daily they'll update it with all the kinds of little things. Another one of those fantastic little like five-second question interviews, which might be my favorite yet just because <laughs> the Nintendo guys love doing fun, silly stuff like that. <laughs> so <laughs> no information whatsoever, but fun to watch for that two minutes that it was on. <laughs> But yeah, we got a lot of information about the game itself, and I, I was kind of feeling it, guys. <laughs> this was making me regret that I don't have a system that I can play this on. Oh, you so never did buy a Wii U. Should, I should send you screenshots as I'm playing, is what you're saying. <laughs> because they, they were just showing, like, the the world, like, from open world standpoints, is doing a lot of stuff that's... You know, even some of the most vaunted open world games like Bethesda stuff and Witcher don't quite do with like, you know, dynamic weather that actually is going to affect the game. Like if a snowstorm comes through, it, it's going to be present in the game. Like there's going to be deeper snow and all that, but it's going to have a lot of gameplay elements to it as well because they showed off like the freaking the Lizalfos, the lizard men that are in the Zelda games are like chameleons in this game. They show them hiding in the snow where like one of them was really obvious. And as he's fighting it, he completely missed the other one that was hiding behind him. Like there's so much dynamic stuff going on here. That's just fascinating to me. But what really got me was the mounted combat. 
because Zelda's been trying to do mounted combat for several games now. I think, uh, what was it, uh, Twilight Let's Princess? Let's just say decades. Let's just say yeah. decades at this point. <laughs> like, Twilight Princess, I think, was the one that, like, really tried really hard. Like, they had that awesome bridge jousting scene. But, like, that was just, half like, one... game was on the back of a wolf. It was an attempt at uh, mounted combat for well, half let, let me let me Let me rephrase that. <laughs> it was an attempt because it wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> But it had that awesome scene with, like, the the bridge jousting, which is, like, one of the highlights of the game. So they're trying it again here. But this game, it actually looks like they've nailed it with all the different aspects of having, you know, weapons that work better on horseback than they do on foot. The the archery, it just, it seems very fluid, very fun, being able to hop off the horse and shoot people in the head and swing your sword around. Like, it, this is very different from a Zelda standpoint and gameplay-wise. It's just... It, it looks like it's going to feel really good to play, which is going to be a huge upgrade over Skyward Sword because that wasn't very fun to play in my eyes. Did you read the stuff on the dungeons as well? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I'm actually like, this is good for me. Like, and a lot of people are really looking at it side-eyed because they said the dungeons are going to be smaller and less complex. But that's just geographically it's not going to be this huge maze where you're going to get lost in forever trying to find the one item you need to progress it's you're gonna you're not gonna have to it's not a treasure hunt if you will it's you're going to go into a dungeon it's going to be a little more straightforward you know not like but it's going to be just as satisfying from a puzzle solving standpoint it's going to be larger rooms with more stuff to do and it's going to have the same feel of a zelda dungeon as far as having to figure out how to get from where you are to the boss room is the end goal, but it's seven rooms to get there instead of 40. In some cases, there's no wandering around the water temple looking for the one fucking switch that you can't find. It's not that the water temple was a difficult puzzle. It's just that you couldn't find the shit you needed to do. That was what made that so frustrating. So if you can get rid of the frustrating aspects, but still have it be as satisfying from a gameplay standpoint, I actually really like that. I do too, actually. I, when I was reading that, I was thinking that's actually fantastic. That's that's what you want, and I especially liked that it the neither the the dungeon itself in terms of things that are blocking you or things like that, or the boss. Neither of them actually require a special mm-hmm. something, be it a weapon or some something that you would carry around. To finish it, yeah, this is you, the hookshot dungeon. You need the hookshot to exactly. solve the puzzle. You need the hookshot to defeat the boss. Like it became very kind of one note. Whereas this is going to be a lot more dynamic with different ways to kill the boss. Even like you, you know, you're not going to have that one magic item that's going to expose its weak point always. Yeah, like basically, I, this like is I just be the, prepared. Yeah, when I when I said that this was like Dark Souls Legends of Zelda, this is just more proof of that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, like it's 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 going to come down to you, your gameplay as a as a player, not what items you manage to find and if you follow the the recipe. And I really dig that. Yeah. Because from what they're saying, like every player's journey through this game is going to be vastly different. There's no like checklist of temples you have to get through. Like you can get to the last boss by skipping like portions of the story, even not skipping it. Just you didn't do it. (laughs) This isn't like a speed running strat where you found a glitch around. Like there's just so much content in this game but they're not forcing players to go through it. Like, But they know Zelda players are going to explore all the dungeons and do all that cool stuff because that's what Zelda players do. And it, just the amount of depth here. Like, they're talking about the horse stables. Like, there's multiple horse stables throughout the world because if you're too far away from one, you can't call your horse. So you have to have... Like, you can 
raise and train and breed like your own stable of horses and, and name them and uh, like you're gonna get really attached to these horses and then one of them's gonna die in combat because that's also a thing. <laughs> Not a pona. <laughs> no, don't name it a pona. Oh my god. <laughs> Kiss of death. And like all the little things, like again, back to the weather system. If you're in a if you're in a lightning storm, you better not be carrying a metal sword and shield, because that's actually going to be a factor. <laughs> or uh, just the game world itself. It's it's not going to be. It's going to have that Dark Souls, like you said, Joe. It's going to have that element of if you go somewhere you're not supposed to be, you better turn the fuck around. <laughs> like there's they're not going to hold your hand. Or as they said. Maybe if it's a little above your, it's not level because Zelda doesn't have levels, but your 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 power level at least. If you don't have strong enough weapons or enough health or enough armor, you can still find a way to do it by using all the other systems like the cooking and the the stealth system that's in the game and the potion making. You can actually find a way to accomplish things that would otherwise be outside your realm of experience. So like, there's just so. So many good design choices that I'm seeing here, and I can't think of a single bad one yet. Now, the interesting don't own it yet is a problem. <laughs> the interesting question here is now, because we just got a wonderful 20 minute long gameplay video of Horizon Zero Dawn, and we've been following obviously that one for quite a while. Were it not for the fact that Legend of Zelda? is a Legend of Zelda game, but mm -hmm. change it to be a brand new IP with different characters, just use the same kind of settings and uh, gameplay and stuff like that. Compare it to what we've seen for Horizon Zero Dawn. Personally, I can't even compare the two. They're not even on the same playing field. As awesome as Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild looks, personally, I look at Zero Dawn and think, oh, this is it. Like, this this is the pinnacle of open world RPG I, with great exploration and stuff. I would have agreed with you, except with some of the recent changes that Horizon Zero Dawn has done. Like, like the, the way the character is different, the way that the story seems like it's going to be a little more less open than what they originally said. I'm starting to have some serious doubts and concerns about that as a game in general and compared to what we're seeing now from Breath of the Wild, which admittedly hasn't been a whole lot. Maybe that's part of the part of the, the benefit of it. Well, they said like they played for hours and they looked at where they started as yeah. opposed to where they finished and like they barely moved on the map. <laughs> And, and that's how it should be like that experience is that's how it should be, at least to me. But it, it feels like Horizon Zero Dawn made promises that it might not be able to deliver on, whereas... Zelda didn't really make any promises, just showed up to the party and said, here I am. What if promises are we talking about? What do you mean? What, what do you mean? You're the one that said it. I, I think Horizon Zero Dawn is smaller than what they originally made it out to be. It's the impression I'm getting. Whereas Zelda seems like it's bigger. See, I don't, I don't see it as being small. And this is certainly not me defending it because we don't know. But based on what we've seen and, and, and this as well, I'm not seeing – and I don't recall them making it out to be th this monstrous, huge they, world map. They, 
They did though, and they made it sound like there wasn't there was going to be like a story for you to discover, but it was going to be mostly left up to the players. And then as the games come closer to release, which at this point is I think what two weeks it's from soon. where we are right now. Yeah, it's the end of February, yeah. February twenty eighth. Yeah, so it's coming out in two weeks, and as we've gotten closer, and they showed off like the story trailers and gameplay, it seems a lot more like Horizon Zero Dawn is going to wind up being. And I talked about this before. I, I'm afraid that it's going to go from that open world feel to you need to go to X, do Y before you can go do Z. And it's going to fall into that trap because I think they might have overly promised ahead of time. And I'm, it's just something that I happen to notice when looking at the trailers and stuff as time went on. There was definitely like a, a the feeling of it shifted almost. And I may be reading too far into it. Maybe I, I'm, you know, I, think, I, I think sometimes might I'm prone to that. But we'll find out in two weeks. Whereas, like, I feel like Zelda, on the other hand, because they didn't show anything too early, they mentioned maybe a couple concept sketches, showed you the art style, but that's really it. And because now it's coming up and they're showing more of the gameplay because they haven't really overpromised, we're just getting what they're giving us. And it's like, here's what you're going to have. Yeah, this is already in the game. People are playing it already. Here you go. And it's like, it feels like, I don't know. I'm trying to articulate it and I apologize. It's just not coming out quite as quite right. I just, I feel like horizon zero dawn may have missed the mark or potentially missed the mark of where it promised to be. Where Zelda is just being whatever it promised to be to begin with. If that makes sense. It, it does, but I don't know that I agree with you based on what we've seen thus far. Now I, I do agree in terms of the, the story elements, which aren't the same. We've discussed that in past episodes, so we'll see when the game actually comes out if it is substantially different in how it's going to work. But every video I'm seeing is talking about, say, the the environment, the world, the side questing. Like This was all side questing that you saw in this video, as well as just exploration of the different zones, different areas and whatnot, and giving you a lot more gameplay footage. It also showed a lot more in terms of uh, like your skill tree, crafting, your character, the outfits that they can wear. In terms of gameplay mechanics and such, this actually expanded my ideas of what the game was into something much bigger, more refined, and, and spectacular in terms of how it looks and how it feels and how it appears to play out and the different ways that you can play as well, whether you want to try to be more crafty or stealthy or just dive in and, and fight kind of thing. And then when you saw the massive variety of the different creatures that you're going to be able to see, which at the tail end of this, holy crap, you see a lot more of the different creatures in this world and whatnot. Like they didn't touch on story here. So Honestly, cannot even touch on that to, to even assume what we're going to be expecting there. But for what we saw, it just felt miles ahead of Legend of Zelda, which is saying a lot. That's the thing, too. That's not slamming Zelda because this fucking oh, Zelda no, no, game no, no, looks no. spectacular. I just think that it's also going to be a lot of the same, just refined, polished, and great fun, certainly, but it's still going to be a lot of the same of what a Zelda game is. 
And that's that's what I see looking at the two of them. Like I, I actually have a hard time trying to compare them because I don't see them as even being that similar aside from the open world aspects. Like when I look at from what we've seen of Zero Dawn, it feels and looks like it's going to be smaller, more focused, but technically superior, if you will. Like there's a lot more moving parts with the systems, with the uh, gear and all, all the crafting and stuff. Whereas I look at Zelda as being bigger, but lighter. So like it, it's going to be more of a playground. Is it, That's how I look at the two of them. Like it's going to be two very different experiences, at least from my point of view. See, I'm seeing them still similar enough. Different styles, certainly in how they look and to a certain degree how they'll play and things like that. And the complexity of one versus the other. Definitely. I agree. But I'm still seeing them as the same kind of go around and, you know, you've got 45 minutes and not really enough time to get into stories. But you can go grind and level your character up so that it's easier for them to take down different bosses or whatever kind of thing. I can see myself having a lot more fun with those 45 minutes in Horizon Zero Dawn compared to Breath of the Wild. I, I will grant you that with a, a smaller gameplay sample. I think Horizon will be the more rewarding. I See, and what I'm really curious about is just how much story there is for both of them because we really haven't been told Breath of the Wild in terms of how many hours we're looking at story, mm-hmm. not side quests, story, and the same thing with Horizon Zero Dawn. I wouldn't be surprised to find out they're probably pretty similar in scope. Uh, we'll find out pretty damn soon. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter because neither one of them is called Mass Effect. (laughs) There is that. Oh, that's that's so accurate, yeah. So this Horizon Zero Dawn video, though, was very, very good. You got to see her riding around on a horse-type robot kind of thing and immediately see how absolutely gorgeous the game is. And it was being played on a regular PS4, not the Pro as well. Which speaks volumes for this game. Yeah, because initially I was thinking, oh, this is a pro, and then you find out it's not. It was like, holy shit, that's what that's going to look like on my game. Even better in PSVR. Yeah, and this isn't, you know, like a a test system, like where the developers are actually running at a high end PC. No, like this was. That's what it's going to look like for actual PS4. Yeah, I like the different dialogue choices when you're coming up for like when she bounced into the person laying on the ground there who needed help finding his daughter. And so very kind of, we're seeing a lot more of that now in RPGs where they are giving you choices and how much that's going to affect story moving forward. We really don't know. One would hope there are some implications if you're an asshole versus someone who is helpful for various people in the community. We also got to see very briefly towards the end when she was fighting some of the corrupted robots, which was freaking cool as hell, that the first look at like the bandits and stuff as well, which was kind of cool. Yet another kind of faction in this open world. The various, again, robot creatures was very cool. The introduction, again, given us information about the the corruption and how that makes the animals, they're not animals, but the robots act a little bit more unusual kind of thing. For the purposes of this game, we're just going to call them animals. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> look like We haven't like seen animals. very many actual animals. They showed off, once again, the tall neck and her making her way up to the top kind of thing to 
to um, to hack it. But we got more information in terms of what that means once you've done that. And what it does essentially is once you then bring up your map, you've now all of a sudden mapped out a lot more of the area to know what's going on, which is very fucking cool. And then again, she just kind of let it go. I don't know if you can topple that son of a bitch. <laughs> we will find out <laughs> because that has to happen. Um I don't know if it's because we're getting used to it now, but the different look for uh, Aloy didn't bother me this time around. It was like, okay, well, that's what she looks like now. And and again, when you're seeing her in dialogue options or different things, she looks so fucking good that I, I honestly, I didn't care anymore. It, it works for me and I'm... I'm, I'm one it. of those people that once I've seen it, I can't unsee it, and it bothers the shit out oh, of me. Oh, I've already picked up on that. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm just saying that the, us regular folk that, <laughs> that learned to let shit go, um, it didn't bother me at all, at all, at all, at all. So, and, and again, it just looks so fucking cool. And then you get a lot of the the animation as well we got to see a lot more of like when she's climbing that that tall neck creature like you can see everything from the crouching and balancing herself the 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 slight waver in her posture everything like and that's just that let alone when she's crouching around and stealthily hunting down other creatures fucking cool as shit and there's going to be multiple different types of machines that you can ride like a horse not just the horses themselves but one would presume maybe one of those fucking panther-like things that was stealthy for the, in one of the shots was like, I want to ride that motherfucker. That's that's what I want. That, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I like also that there's like, with the exception of a few instances when she's going to different areas or whatever, there's like next to no load time at all. It's very, very seamless going around, which was fucking cool as hell. Uh, they showed, like I said, a lot more about the the UI. The skill tree has got three skills, either yeah, Prowler. I, I love that it's customizable UI. Yes. Like, that's not a thing you see in console games ever. Uh, agreed. For the skills you're looking at, there's three different trees, either Prowler, Brave, or Forager. Kind of your standard things. But it does, again, give you quite a bit of flexibility in how you want to build your character up. Did they, awesome. they really have to call it Brave, though? As if the Merida comparisons weren't with already there. Yeah, yeah. There. Like, come on. You could not have come up with a better term. Hey, you got to be brave to go up against toe-to-toe with those motherfuckers. Especially that, that Call it courage. courage. Like, but just, since the day this game was announced, it's been drawing comparisons to the friggin' Pixar movie. I don't care. I don't care. I love Brave. I don't care. <laughs> the other thing, and I thought of this immediately when you were talking about the weather effects in Zelda. Holy mm-hmm. shit, the fucking weather effects in Horizon Zero Dawn are no joke. Like, be it the rain or whatever. When she's standing on the hilltop, or it wasn't even a hilltop, but the little edge, and the wind is whipping her back, and you can see the trees moving. You could see the fire affected as well by the wind. It was like, oh, my God, does that ever look awesome? So, yeah, the weather effects in this look just amazing. And then what else did we see? That's about it, I guess. Yeah, I think that's about it, which is plenty. 
So yeah, there were, <laughs> that was a lot out of twenty minutes of yeah. gameplay. Oh yeah, yeah. The other thing that was cool too is that they talked about the variety of different ways of taking down the creatures as you see them, and you do get bonuses in terms of XP or rewards or whatever for quote unquote unusual takedowns. So if you are more stealthy or if you are clever with how you take them down with your weapons or whatever, then you can expect to reap that reward, which I thought again. Very cool. It, I really liked watching the two different gameplay styles because one was going much more just kind of dive in and die, whereas the other one was setting up snares and hitting from far and being a lot more stealthy. And both still looked like a lot of fun. Though, truth be told, she gets a shit kicked out of her pretty goddamn fast. You, you want to try to take as much of their life down from far away. So, yeah, it looked... I thought it looked fantastic. Cannot wait to play this. Another one that we got a short other trailer for, it was a combat trailer, was for Nino Kuni 2. And we talked about this a lot, so we're not going to go too long on this. But this was interesting because it showed what amounted to a boss fight, essentially. And it showed, again, very cool character animations for the attacking and different things, the switching between the characters, the fucking little higgledies or whatever they are. The higgledies are growing on me. Are they really? Because they're not on me. They're fucking adorable. Ugh. Okay. Well, with any luck, they'll grow on me. The game is still only 45% completed, and it's due out this year. Yeah. has me a little concerned. that. <laughs> yeah. So that was the one thing that, that kind of worried me. I guess it me. depends on what 45% is complete. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, they're, if the story is pretty much all written out... Quest dialogue all written out and the characters have all been mapped out and everything. And it's just a matter of, you know, putting the puzzle pieces together. All right. Although even at that, I'm, I would lay down money saying this is going to get pushed back to 2018. If not, I will be pleasantly surprised as I play it. This it's an RPG season. being made in Japan. Of course it's going to yeah, be pushed back. <laughs> Oh, so sure. much confidence. Anyways. Okay, let's move on to Vampire. I'm, I'm still going to call it Vampire. Fuck. Vampire. <laughs> vampire. Anyways, uh, we got a little bit more information about that too, Vince. Yeah, we uh, got a little bit of info about Vampire, the upcoming game from Don't Nod, uh, of course, best known for Life is Strange. And there's some cool stuff that they're doing here. About for those who uh, haven't listened because we haven't talked about it in a while, uh, the game takes place in the Spanish flu outbreak in London in the early 20th century, where you play a doctor who has been inflicted with becoming a vampire. And the entire point of the game is, well, of course, there's a story, but we don't know too much about the story. But the entire draw of the game is that you have to kill and drain people in order to stay alive. And a great deal of the game is going to be spent investigating and trying to find who should you kill, because there's definitely a moral aspect to this game. You know, you're a doctor. You, you took an oath. You're not supposed to kill people, but you got to do what you got to do sometimes. And like, there was stuff talking about, OK, you know, this guy is threatening the shopkeeper. So like he's kind of a, a, a bad person. So you'd feel less bad about killing this guy because it would help out the town, help out the shopkeeper. But it's also going to leave a person, you know, his daughter without a father. So, like, every decision you make seems like it's going to be complex. And I like that. Yeah, but that daughter would be like a – for a vampire, that's like a veal, you know. That's <laughs> – Oh, they, they said yeah. if you want to, you could just kill the daughter. daughter. That's an option. <laughs> 
So, but you say we didn't get a whole lot of information, but come to find out that there are going to be four completely different endings to the game based on a lot of the decisions you make as far as who you kill and don't kill to the point where the hardest to unlock ending is going to involve not killing anybody. So I, I'm really interested in seeing how that's going to play out because they said you got to kill to stay alive. So I don't know if it's going to be kind of like a speed run aspect. I, I guarantee it's not going to be something anybody does on their first playthrough. My but thought on it, that was like, if you're a doctor, why can't you just like take blood from people, yeah. like a couple vials here and there and then down those? That's what I was it, thinking. It, it has to be live blood. Yeah. It has, stays alive. it has to come from the vessel. It's 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 as much spiritual as it is biological, Joe. What about animals? Did they say anything? Suddenly the know. cat population goes way down in London. <laughs> but it, we, they said uh, they showed us some screenshots, but no actual more gameplay. But they say there's going to be actual gameplay coming out in a couple months. So they're just giving us some little crumbs to show us what they've been working on and keep us interested. And uh, hopefully we'll know more soon. I guarantee you I'm going to figure out how to do that game without killing a goddamn person. I'm doing this in Deus Ex right now. I'm going to do it in Vampire as well. Yeah, but in Deus Ex, <laughs> you know, you don't keel over dead from doing a fatality-free playthrough. No, but let me tell you about... Uh, that's a story for another time, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard not to kill oh, in yeah. Deus Ex It's not too. easy. I'm not saying it isn't, <laughs> but it, I think it's a slightly different uh, take on a... Uh, no death playthrough. I thought you were going to say, but it's a lot more fulfilling to kill half of London. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that is an accurate statement. All right. You also found some news on Shadowverse, which I had actually seen, and I went, I'm not putting this in the fucking show notes, and then you posted you, it in Discord. Listen, I couldn't copy and paste that fast enough, and you know it. <laughs> oh, and and I did, again, I did see it, and I went, no, I'm not putting that in. I'm not putting it in, and then I look at Discord, and it's like, you motherfucker. Now we have to talk about <laughs> it just because it's a TCG. That's the only reason I'm letting you get away with this shit. <laughs> I was telling totally her about it, and she's, like, and she's like, oh, this might be the way you get Roger to actually let you talk about Street Fighter. <laughs> It made me want to play Shadowverse less when I saw that bullshit. I went, fuck you. That is ridiculous. It does not work. It breaks the immersion. Oh, it does no. not work at all. No, not It doesn't at all. fit remotely. God. Go ahead and tell the folks. But yes, uh, Psy Games, the developers of Shadowverse, a very fun trading card game, have uh, come to a, a partnership with Capcom where the Street Fighter characters are going to be available as alternate leaders of the different, uh, what, what are they called? Yeah, whatever, deck types, Champions if you will. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, it's, it's a little disappointing because there's actually nothing unique about it. It's just a different skin. But, uh, yeah, so you're going to have uh, Ryu joining as the leader of the Dragoncraft clan, uh, Kami for Forestcraft, Chun-Li for Swordcraft, Jury for Runecraft, Bison for Shadowcraft, Vega for Bloodcraft, and Karen for Havencraft. And I like how they actually tried to make it fit as good as possible. Like, really, the only standout for me is Chun-Li and Kami don't quite fit, but I obviously have to put Chun-Li somewhere. Uh, but it's, like I said, it's cool. But it completely doesn't fit with the aesthetic of the game. Like, they didn't even, like, give them, like, proper 
in-game art styles. These are literally just character models ripped out of Street Fighter V and shoved in here. Yeah, because there was some picture that made them look a little bit more like they belonged in the world. But then you watch the video and it's like, well, that's that's completely different. This is fucking just Street Fighter V shoved into this. literally the character models and animations straight out of Street Fighter V. Like, there's absolutely nothing different about it. No, thanks. (laughs) No, thanks. But, But this you know, kind of makes me want them to expand upon what you can do with the game a little more by having different generals that are going to have different gameplay effects on top of, you know, the actual crafts that they have access to. I I hope that's something that they continue to explore and can expand on because I think that would be a nice little twist where, okay, a dragon craft deck is always going to have like these special abilities, but, you know, their general commander or champion, whatever the fuck it's called, is going to put a different twist on it, kind of like Gwent. Uh, how the factions have faction-specific abilities, but then the leader you choose also has their own ability on top of it. I don't care, so I got nothing to say. I'm not ambivalent about this. I point-blank despised it. (laughs) As somebody who was a fan of both Shadowcraft and Street Fighter, this is dumb as hell. (laughs) So maybe that'll make you feel a little better. Just a bit. Okay, I Joe. Rogers more upset that we just talked about it. So I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I really did not want to put it in the show notes. All right, um, Joe. You also well, found like the first thing in there is kind of like a challenge. Well, <laughs> again, it went through because it's a TCG. <laughs> Wasn't there an episode a few months ago where it was literally all the show notes I posted that you didn't want to talk about? It's yes. possible. Actually, I believe that is accurate. Okay, let's move on. Joe, you found an interview with the voice of Symmetra. Yeah, actually, so if anybody's listened to the show, we love our voice actors. We always have. We always will. Shout did you to, know that you know. freaking Sissy did the voiceover for the trailer for John Week 2? I did, actually. I did not know oh. that. That's fucking awesome. Way to go, Sissy. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to give Sissy a shout out. <laughs> oh, okay, because I just but, saw that on Twitter today. Yeah. And like, I didn't realize that was you. That's awesome. But Sorry, go one ahead. One of the cool, things, the cool things about the voice actors is, like, for, for so long, like, growing up, we just think that they're the voices of our favorite characters. And we don't – until recently, we haven't really learned a whole lot about many of them. But they're all unique people just like we are, and they all have their own desires and, and wants and things that they like. And so uh, – and I'm going to massacre her name, and I am so sorry. Uh, Anjali Bahani, um, she's the voice of Symmetra, and she's – absolutely phenomenal and in this interview it talks about everything from her playing D and from back in the day to you know maybe not necessarily playing blizzard games but knowing about them because they're part of her pop culture and it just sort of her idea of who the character is and, and everything she brought to it uh, particularly the fact that she likes the idea of being chaotic good which i thought was absolutely clever because not only is she she says her first, you know, her D&D characters tended to be chaotic because she views herself as chaotic good. And she tends to skew Symmetra into that category as well. Uh, and it's very, very interesting, at least to me. And then there is even talks about uh, in the interview about, you know, who she would ship with each other, which is always a huge thing, especially for God, Overwatch. That's There's all that Overwatch is. <laughs> they're, they're, oh yeah. One it's, gameplay, it's game two, who's shipping ships. with who? <laughs> But she she made out some call outs, the the Genji Mercy thing and the Anna and Soldier 76 thing. And I thought that was really kind of fun because she was just like, yeah, you know, and she she put it in perspective, not just like, I think this would be cute. It was, 
I actually think this would be good because, you know, Genji is all troubled and Mercy would give him a little light. And like she actually talks about essentially understanding the characters, which is not even her character, all of the characters and how they fit in the universe. And one of the things that I absolutely adore is the fact that she loves her character so much so because not only is it fun to do, but it gives small Indian girls a hero to look up to. Yep. And that was kind of a big moment. It's it's actually a really good interview. Uh, if I would honestly recommend if you guys are interested in it at all, take a read through. She is a fascinating human being. Her views are very, very cool. She swears like a fucking sailor, and I love it. <laughs> it she's she's quickly becoming one of my top faves as far as actresses and, and, and voice actors go. I mean, she'll never topple sissy, but you know, there you go. Go. Lastly, before we go last week, I talked about the, that pulse watch thing for nausea for VR. I actually Mm -hmm. did test it out. So when you do put it on, it's got like, I think five settings. And I found that, Anything lower than, I believe it was four, was really not worth it. But the problem is, is that at that point, you're feeling that pulse. And it's kind of like a a small electrical shock kind of thing going through your wrist and into your hand as well. So while it did help with the nausea, and it did actually help with the nausea, it never allows you to be completely engulfed in the VR world Mm -hmm. because you're constantly having that frame of reference at your wrist, which is kind of a pro and a con. So in terms of taking nausea away, I found that it certainly didn't take it all away, um, but it took a lot of it away. Like I played some stuff that I found to be very nausea inducing, kind of like Resident Evil 7. And that sucker's really hard on my system. And not because it's frightening, because I love that shit, but because of the the movement and whatnot. I spent a lot of time messing around with the different settings, because there's a lot of them in uh, Resident Evil 7, for if you want the camera to snap, if you want it to be smooth, how smooth do you want it, do you want any blurring, like all kinds of shit. I tried them all and was moving around. Part of that didn't help either, because that kind of makes you nauseous a little bit as well. I would say... Like from what I'd read, the people were saying it takes about like you know seventy to ninety percent of the nausea away. That's actually accurate. I found. It, like I said, it doesn't take huh. it all away. Certainly, I still did feel nauseous. However, unlike the nausea that I would get beforehand, this was nausea that I felt I can muscle through this. This is not that big a deal. I can actually muscle through this, and I'll be all right. And so, yeah, I played that. I played, what else did I play? Oh, I did the time one, the VR time. What's it called? Shit. There's one of them where you go back to. You're not getting any help from either of them. Yeah, really. You go back in time, obviously, to investigate and document and things of that uh, prehistoric creatures uh, under the water. So it's kind of like an Assassin's Creed. Pokemon Snap. But you're, yeah, really. But you're investigating underwater creatures in prehistoric times. Fucking cool as shit. Like, I mean, it was unbelievable. I I, I didn't, obviously, I didn't finish the game and I didn't play for hours on end because I was testing a whole bunch of different ones. But I'll be talking about that game. And when I do, I'll have the title. (laughs) 
<laughs> and um, because it was awesome. Like when you're above water and you're doing those little moments where you're talking to someone or they're talking to you or whatever, it was like, ew, this looks horrible, like very pixely. And I was disappointed. Then you go underwater and it's like, oh, I see where you guys put your money because underwater looks gorgeous. And you're seeing these massive fucking creatures come swimming beside you and chomping on turtles and shit. And it's like, holy shit. No nausea at all, at all, at all in that one. And I tried a bunch of other ones. Again, some that I know caused uh, uh, quite a bit of nausea. And the worst ones, I still felt nauseous. But like I said, I could muscle through. More importantly, though, because you could fix that with like a fucking gravel or something as well beforehand. So you just, it's kind of like meta bullshit where you got to take medication so that you don't get nausea in a game, but whatever. Um, more importantly, though, after I was done playing and I kind of wiped the shit off because you put a little gel on your wrist and put it all away kind of thing. No nausea at all. And normally when you get that nausea inside of the, the VR unit, it stays with you for quite a while. Like it can stay with you the entire, the rest of the fucking day. A really yeah, bad. From a couple people. Oh yeah. Really bad ones. I'll feel it the next day. I will not want to play the VR because I still kind of like, Oh God. And so nothing, nothing immediately after it's like, I don't feel bad at all. Like I would go right back in if I had the time. So while it doesn't take everything away, it takes a significant portion away and then you don't have to deal with the nausea afterwards. So fucking cool as shit. I am happy I picked it up. It was not a lot and I feel it's, I don't want to say required because not everybody's going to have the same issues. It but paid if you, for itself for you is what it really did. If you do have some nausea, consider it actually. It's, uh, I'll see if I can find the link again and I'll post it in the show notes so that you can see, but it's not a huge investment and think of it as actually think of it as an investment because it's going to allow you to play games that you paid for that otherwise you would not be able to, because some of the games that I paid fucking money for, I could not play because you don't get past that nausea and you, you don't build a tolerance to it kind of thing. You're going to constantly feel like shit. So now I can play those games. So I'm not as hesitant now to pull the trigger on a game if it's on sale and a reasonable price kind of thing. I don't care. I I, I don't have to look and worry about if it's going to make me feel sick. Oh, fuck, I'll pick it up. I'll probably be all right. So for that alone, awesome. So that is going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can find us at... For the lore on Twitter or individually, Joe is Loader ZJ, Vince is Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. You can also leave us your thoughts and comments on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.